Hey everyone, a quick announcement before today's episode. This episode is most likely going to be the final made for love ever. I have taken a new job. So I just want to say thank you for listening. And here we go. If we don't have a routine, you just turn around and the day's over and children are in pajamas. And uh, wait, when did you shower last? Like the routine is a necessity, even if it has to change. We have one priest here who's a musician and he's been playing music, his fiddle and his, uh, trying to think what else he plays. And actually he was on the news locally this week because in his parish, he had all of his parishioners send him a photograph of themselves or their family and he taped them up in the pews. So when he says Matt, and he can see them all. So that's pretty great. You know, my elbow, so to speak, is a little twitchy because I'm used to handing out the Eucharist every day. I'd rather give the Eucharist to my people than receive it because I know they're hungry. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. Today's episode is on love in the time of COVID because, wow, y'all, this is history. We're going to hear from two families, a priest and a single woman, and talk about the graces that are out there for the taking. We're going to start with my friend Amy and some of her family. Say hi, Miss Sarah. Hi, Miss Sarah. I reached out to Amy because there was a new creature in her pictures on Instagram. He wanted to name her Matilda. Biscuit Stew. But and we so, her middle name is Biscuit. It's Tilly Biscuit Stew. Tilly is a beagle. The Stutes joined many other families who figured that being in social isolation is a good time to get a pet. Yeah, we've had even within our immediate friend circle probably four or five people who've adopted pets since this started. Don't worry though, Tilly was not an impulse buy. Since Christmas we've been talking about it. But we wanted to be really intentional about the kind of dog that we got. And the time, the time worked out perfectly because not only did we see that this, we wanted a beagle. And not only did we see that it was a beagle mix, but that we knew we would have at least a month at home to train her or be with with her while she's in her puppy stage. When I asked the boys why it's good to have a lot of time at home if you have a puppy, they look adorable. They look adorable. <laughs> Tilly is also a star in the kids' virtual classrooms. They've taken lots of joy when they have Zoom meetings with their classmates yeah. to bring Tilly into the picture to show their friends their dog. So yeah. That's been fun. She is also great for parents. Sometimes I come outside and play with the dog because she doesn't scream or yell or ask me food. <laughs> We're going to come back to Amy in a bit. First, we're going to talk about living situations during COVID that aren't with family. Well, hello, my name is Sarah Ingle. I live with three people, two friends and a sister. We're all four in our very late 20s, early 30s, early mid 30s. So how's it going? It's week three. Yeah, it is week three. That is startling, isn't it? (gasps) Um, It's going well, I think. We'd been living together almost a year when this started, so that was great. We had, like, no brand new people who we were trying to get to know. I mean, we're pretty chill personality-wise. There's not a lot of anxiety spiraling tendencies in this particular group, um, and that's helped a lot. 
Having lived with three or four women in houses for many years myself, I've wondered how different this experience would be in that situation, especially since it often means a lot of people working from home. One of the first days where we were absolutely all at home, going to be there today, tomorrow, the next day, the rest of the week, two weeks at least, um, <laughs> we had to have a little bit of a conversation about what, what do we need? <laughs> like one housemate had five back-to-back -back Zoom meetings and in our house, the Wi-Fi is patchy in the bedrooms. So all of the work has to be done in communal spaces. So she needed a good Wi-Fi connection and decent lighting. And, and I was like, okay, that's one. Um, another one is the adjunct professor. And so she was teaching an art class over Blackboard. So she needed the exact same thing. Um, and then most of my work is done via laptop. I just mainly need a desk space, but I am sometimes taking phone calls. And so it's just the initial conversation was kind of like, what are the viable places for what kinds of work? And then the rest has been checking in regularly. Like, this is what I need for today. And then we all lay that out. And then as much as we need to, we play merry-go-round and we switch to the different places where we need to be in order to do our work. You also don't necessarily know different versions of the people that you live with. It has been funny to discover that none of us are morning people. That was new information for me. I knew I wasn't, but we are none of us morning people. So it's actually pretty quiet in the morning. <laughs> Group houses usually only have one kitchen and one fridge. So I asked about the food situation. So before all of this, we didn't really combine our grocery shopping or our food preparation. We don't cook communal meals. We have our own section of the fridge and we keep our own foods. We eat fairly different things. Um, and there's a, a couple dietary restrictions in there that need to be navigated around. So that's just generally worked well. And we basically kept that, except there's been some improvisation in some cases where it just made sense to share some ingredients before they went bad. But the grocery shopping where we used to all do our own, of course, on our way back from work or whenever, now we each seem to be taking it in turns to uh, do the grocery run for everybody. And so we technology is our friend. We text each other what we need, and then we Venmo each other our payment afterwards. So we still pay for everything, mostly on our own. But it allows us to really only do one trip to the store a week and only one of us go. So then they go out, they try and be careful about what they're touching, and, um, and then we wipe everything down with disinfectant wipes once they get back and put it away. And that seems to be working well so far. Now, I know these women, and I think if you're going to have to be isolated from the world with some other people, you could definitely do worse. It's not a lot else to do. We keep trying to really make each other laugh. <laughs> you don't want to read the news anywhere. There, there's a certain amount of, you know, just telling each other, okay, you need to come be with us. Come take your mind off of things. Come be in the space. But also, you know, there's only so much you can talk about. So then you start getting kind of nutty in your attempts to entertain each other. So there was already this sort of running gag in our house, which has escalated considerably of, because the answer is generally yes, we like to say no to each other for perfectly reasonable requests or get in each other's way on purpose just to make the other person laugh. So in one case, one housemate was getting down to retrieve a bottle of wine from the wine rack and the other just kind of came up behind her and draped her whole body over top of her like a sloth. And so that she couldn't stand up again. And they wound up sort of in a heap on the floor laughing because of just sort of the general absurdity. 
Sarah has some serious talent for doodling, and one of her housemates had an idea to use that talent for the good of the house. One housemate told me, you know it would be funny? You drew funny doodles and just stuck them around the house. And I thought, that does sound funny. I'm going to do that eight now. I stick them in odd places and then wait for them to find them. Or sometimes I'll just tell them, like, there's three more in the house. And then they go off as if it's a scavenger hunt to try and find them. The four housemates also have a pretty good idea of when other people need their own space. We kind of knew where each other's introvert-extrovert line was. And fortunately, we have had conversations in the past to kind of clarify, by the way, if I suddenly vanish to my room, I'm not actually angry with you. I just need space. So there have been occasions where even doing the workday separate from each other, that's still just not quite enough introvert time and someone will just take their dinner to their bedroom. <laughs> and not come out for the rest of the evening. Um, and so that's been, I'm like, okay, so you need more than we can give you technically in, in this time, in this space when we're all together. But it's been good that they've been willing to just take it for themselves and know themselves well enough to be like, I'm, I just need space right now and then, and then go. Sarah had another advantage going into this COVID experience. I wasn't just homeschooled. I was homeschooled in the mountains. I've basically just reverted to high school at this point. So you wake up, you do breakfast, you sort out what your tasks are for today, you fit them in in whatever way makes sense to you, and then when you finished those, you turn to house cleaning and whatever hobbies you have collected. And I have collected a lot of hobbies, and I haven't touched them since moving to Northern Virginia because it's just so much busier here. I mean, we, there was nowhere to go in my small town. So we, we would finish out our school day and we would still be at the house all day, every day, all week for a month. You know, maybe we'd go into town for errands. But So part of me is, is just like, oh, this feels familiar and actually like kind of nice. So we'll just do a quick run through of some of her hobbies. I had a partially finished Afghan. I wanted to crochet some more like coffee cup cozies. I need to pull out my sewing machine. I wanted to sew some face masks and I give little baby shoes as baby gifts and I've run out of my last stock. So I need to sew some more of those. And I want to catch up on some of my photo albums and I'm back to drawing, of course, and reading and practicing cello and yoga. <laughs> I asked Sarah how being Christian makes it possible to live with people in this way. If you believe that Every human being is created by God and loved by God. And if additionally you look at someone and say, and in fact, you are loved by and saved by the same Savior as I. He valued you to the, the cost of his own life. Then I cannot or at least should not value you less. Um, and, and so I think there's a unique perspective that should be from Christians to all people, but also from Christians to each other, that there's a special sense in which we are family, siblings in Christ. And there's a general way in which that should affect how we treat each other. Um, but there's also like some specific guidelines that come with that. Christ taught us how to love each other and what to do when things go wrong. So that in that moment when maybe one of you has said the thing that wasn't maybe very thoughtful or done the thing that wasn't very considerate, that you know that you did it. <laughs> there's a framework for knowing what what's gone wrong and humility to acknowledge that fact and then further humility to go to that person and confess this is the thing I did and it was not I wasn't putting you first in, in the right way or I knew this would bother you I did it anyway 
didn't even think, I'm sorry. And then further, the reassurance of knowing that them also coming from that same perspective and with those same guidelines <laughs> will respond with grace. You go not actually worried that they won't forgive you <laughs> um, and that peace can be restored and it can go back to being good. And that, in fact, this can happen as many times as it needs to because grace is limitless. Sarah also reminded me to do something at this historic time. This is history. I'm actually starting to take pictures of things because I don't think my grandkids will believe me. Like, hopefully they won't have a sense for this kind of thing. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, there was this whole spring. We all stayed inside because people were getting sick. Now we're going to hear from a priest. All right. My name is Father Dan Leary. I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Washington, and I'm currently assigned at St. Andrews in Silver Spring, Maryland. Father Dan has been a busy bee over at St. Andrews. He started offering recorded daily mass right away, for example, and virtual retreats. Secondly, we've done a couple of food drives for the local pantries, which has been kind of interesting. You know, we've had people drop them off and put them by the rectory door. And so we've taken a couple of van loads of food over. Thirdly, I think what's been effective most beautifully was the outdoor adoration with the Blessed Sacrament. People kind of remaining in their cars, adoring the Lord. That's been tremendously received by our people. The other night, I actually processed with the Blessed Sacrament sort of between the cars and just quite profound to see the people's faith. And there's a sacrament that isn't that hard to do from six feet away. Strive through confessions where people are driving up and jumping out of their car if they can and uh, using the sacrament as an encounter to let the living water of Christ flow into the community. Father Dan is not one to waste any opportunities. It's also really led me deeper into prayer. I have more time to pray, which is really beautiful. I have a chapel here in the rectory. I have been calling, you know, 30 to 50 people a day, trying to reach out to them and pray with them over the phone, actually bless them over the phone to support them and let them know that, uh, you know, they're not alone. So what does a pastor do when he calls someone? I say, hey, you missed Mass on Sunday. And they start giggling. And then I say, yeah, I wanted to give you a little blessing. And, you know, it makes them feel that they're not forgotten. Meanwhile, in his own social isolation space, two of the seminarians from the diocese who were sent away from their schools because of COVID were placed at St. Andrews. Yeah, well, we call it the Sigma Alpha Alpha Fraternity House now. It's pretty funny. There's six of us running around and we have a great time helping each other out as best as we can. Who cooks in that situation? Oh my gosh, Sarah, no one. People drop off food. Honestly, I think that they think priests need to eat 12 meals a day the way people have been dropping off food. It's been pretty funny. But it's been great, you know, because the people also want to do something beautiful. They see the priests in the parish working hard, and they don't know what to do, so they want to do something. And so it's really been quite edifying. People dropping off food. And, I mean, I'm just going to blame my failure and my Lenten journey on the people of God because... You know, how can you drop off chocolate chip cookies, right? I mean, what am I supposed to do with those things? I can't give them away, so we've eaten them. <laughs> Father Dan's philosophy about responding to the virus as a pastor has been be creative. 
Well, really, Sarah, what I do is I look at what's allowed, what the diocese is allowing, and there's plenty of opportunity. You just have to be open to the grace of the Spirit to figure out ways to offer it. And you have to do it reverently and beautifully. Is it liturgically always easy? No, it works. It's just unusual. But I think even in that unusual reality, God is joyful and God recognizes the people of God are coming to be fed. We're going to stay on that theme for a minute as Amy Stute shares a couple of things that priests have done down in Lafayette, Louisiana. Yeah, our priests around here have been really funny because the dad in all of them has come out in the time like this. And so they've all kind of done a different thing. We have one local priest who every day has done a drawing time. His name is Father Brent Smith. And then in the evening, he does a story time with Cooper, who's his big dog. And so he and Cooper read a children's book to, to Facebook Live. We have another priest who <laughs> started a series called The Weirdest Lent Ever. And every morning he gets online and he tells the corniest dad jokes ever and then lets his parishioners know what they can look forward to that day if he'll be doing a Stations of the Cross. Or a lot of our priests, like the ones around the country, have been doing drive-up confessions and even uh, Eucharistic adoration processions like in the back of a truck driving through neighborhoods and things like that. Okay, back to Father Dan. I have been watching his mass online for the last four weeks, and he's always telling us, make sure you have a routine. You know, I'm trying to keep folks balanced and then the virtue of joy. So it's a great time of grace in the church because you will become a saint through this, depending if you're really going to persevere. This is going to come up again and again. Routines are so helpful right now, and so is getting outside. You know, I look outside and I see flowers, these little day lilies, I think they are, just kind of popping through the ground. You know, and I just want to, like, go out there and, like, shake them and be like, don't you know that there's a virus? <laughs> don't you know that people are inside? Why are you flowering? But I think it's, Sarah, because um, it just shows that God is in control and just how freeing that is for the people of God. We've also been able to just kind of walk the neighborhood. You can go on a bike ride once, enjoying kind of this transition of spring and just get a little exercise and get some energy out, especially for the, the young boys. This is Jason. Yeah, my name is Jason Kidd. Uh, I oversee the Marriage and Family Life Office along with Youth and Young Adults for the Archdiocese of Portland. But I'm most proud to uh, call myself a Catholic Christian and be married to Sarah, my wife, for uh, 16 years. We've got four kids, Hannah, Grace, James, Matthew, and uh, we are a, a circus. How's it going in the kid household? We're, we're doing all right. If I take a step back, we're dealing with first world problems. You know, yeah. how do we get technology to work with school as schools move over? Um, but we have shelter, we have a house. Learning from home is easier for some kids than others. We've got one, Grace, with autism. So she's got some additional needs. And then another one with dyslexia pretty severely, let alone like a kindergartner and a first grader are going to school online. And like, here are written instructions, but they really can't read very well, you know? So we're figuring it out one day at a time. 
Jason and Sarah's kids had just gotten into a routine with schoolwork when spring break came, so they had to improvise more fun activities. Themed dinners. Each child has jumped on that. So my eldest spent probably half a day preparing a Star Wars themed dinner. It was super creative with the decorations and took sausages and cut them lengthwise. So they're kind of skinny, almost like a noodle. And she was, hey, these are tentacles from some mythical, you know, whatever. And then everybody got dressed up in Star Wars themed stuff. And then my, my other daughter did an Italian theme and we, we got dressed up in narc clothes. So trying to be creative. And instead of camping in California, which was the original plan. We did a couple of campfires in the backyard. Had all of the things on the menu for s'mores. And so we, we did that a couple times and that was just fun. They tried a new sport. We set up a little thing of badminton in which again, like <laughs> maybe not the most coordinated of families, but we had some fun. And they've gotten to know new people. I've talked to my neighbors, like my physical neighbors more in the last three weeks than I probably have in the last year, which is as a Christian where we're supposed to love our neighbor, that's pretty humbling. The virus has hit home though. On a more somber note, uh, I've got some cousins back in Arizona that are in the medical field and my eldest cousin who's been a longtime nurse she's got COVID and that kind of went through the text message chain and so she's at home on quarantine her husband is also a nurse he's on quarantine it hit home it it's not just out there now it's starting to affect people that we know the kid family found a way to pray together when I heard about my cousin we set up a little Zoom conference and, you know, all my siblings and a, another cousin jumped in and we just did a chaplet together. And there was a gazillion little children causing trouble. And luckily we can mute all the other channels. But it was just a good time to like see some people's faces, pray for our loved ones, um, knowing that God hears our prayers and answers them accordingly. And it took one of my cousins getting COVID to like make us pray together, which sounds so sad. And of course, with no public masses being celebrated, the kids are still struggling to find the best way to keep the Sabbath holy. I, I'm spoiled because wherever I've worked, I've been able to almost go to daily mass every day. So that's been hard. And then trying to figure out how we do that at home has been uh, a learning experience. Sometimes goes better, you know, we, we've done a couple of the, okay, we're just going to watch mass. That has proven to not be maybe the most engaging for especially the younger kids. We've done a couple of almost liturgy of the word. We use a children's Bible and, and would read the, the readings out of there, let the kids take turns. The boys were loving playing with fire and candles and they were trying to hold the, the Bible for whoever was reading, which they were really proud of. It was very hard to read, but you know. So trying to figure out as best we can, knowing it's messy, knowing that kids are getting upset because they thought they were going to be the ones to read, to just enter in. When I talked with Jason, it was Monday of Holy Week. Our Palm Sunday experience was probably the if our director of worship was to observe, he probably would have 
given us a pretty low rating. Um, how do I say? It was definitely probably the hardest of all of the Sunday Sabbath quarantine experiences. But I, I'm just reminded as a family, as a father, it's going to be messy. Just don't stop, you know, keep trying, adjust. Despite its challenges, this is a really great opportunity for families to recognize the Holy Spirit's presence in the family and that the family really is a domestic church, a place to encounter Christ every day. And again, I work for the church. I, I, I talk about domestic church all the time. My own domestic church has gotten stronger in this space. I mean, we go to mass every Sunday. We're praying. We're, we're you know, we're not heathens, uh, hopefully. Um, but we have prayed more as a family in this time. Well, it's become more of a rhythm. We have a a more dedicated place for like an altar that you know, this is okay. This is where we're going to gather. Uh, I think our children are more aware and are beginning to see the seriousness of this, how big this is. And, uh, and that's moved their hearts too. Because let's face it, y'all, in general, as a society, we are just too busy. This is in some ways, I think, clearing space for some relationship and conversations that I was definitely not having prior to this. And there are people around us who are asking themselves some deeper questions right now. Uh, with some close friends and family, like there's been some soul searching, I guess. People are asking questions about what's important. We, we heard one of my colleagues say that she had a, a number of friends from high school who have kind of fallen away from the faith. But now that they can't go to mass, even though they weren't before, they're like, oh, this is kind of a big deal, you know? And I'm just like, well, great. How do we, more active disciples within the church, how can we uh, engage in conversation with some of those folks? How do we walk with them knowing that this is not a simple situation that sometimes there can be a tendency to gloss over the suffering or, but how, how do we be examples and witnesses of faith? There's a huge opportunity, I think, for the church in this time where before we were just so busy with everything and now we're just like starving for relationship with people. One of Jason's kids has a teacher who challenged his class. The teacher emailed to his class, don't be the person that's going to tell stories of, oh, remember when COVID hit and everything stopped for two months, three months? What did you do, mom? Oh, I just Netflix binged, you know, or I just, all I did was play video games. Jason's daughter took this to heart. She loves music. I don't know how, but she knows how to read music. And we had a ukulele that was given to us by a family friend, almost like an heirloom. And she's learning how to play the ukulele. She's becoming the best version of herself. She's challenging herself, growing. And she did some music for us at home church. That was a beautiful thing. That's the thing, y'all. Life is still happening. Here's Father Dan. Children are still growing and teeth are still falling out of little one's mouths. Kids are still needing haircuts and like all of that stuff. If God were not involved, then all that stuff wouldn't be happening. Well, I understand from the Prime Minister of New Zealand that the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny are both considered essential workers. So keep that Holy in mind. Holy moly. And then in the evenings, we've been reading the Chronicles of Narnia. 
and we've been watching movies. We play Minecraft sometimes. Yay! Lots of togetherness. It's it's great. And because there's a slower pace of life at home these days, prayer isn't as much of a struggle against competing amusements. We struggled for years and years, once a week to pray a rosary or even sometimes just a decade of the rosary together. And we've prayed a family rosary every single night since this started. So probably almost three weeks now. And it's not been a struggle at all. In fact, they look, they look forward to it every day. They know seven o'clock comes around. It's time for rosary, you know. Some of the things that are making a comeback, puzzles, family bike rides, family picnics, knitting, sourdough bread for some reason, baking. Let's keep those going whenever this is over. I don't know. I think all this is interesting. Like we're kind of returning to things that have got lost and I hope we get to keep some of it, you know, when we get back to it. Once we get out of this COVID time and we're not locked in, my hope is, is that I, some of these things that we've done can carry over. And Jason and Sarah have realized it's time for their kids to take on more responsibility. We've talked about, well, let's take this opportunity to teach our kids stuff that we haven't empowered them to do. Almost like shifting the chores up a level and then the eldest getting some new ones, you know? So, oh gosh, you know what? We're just going to dump this thing of laundry here and everybody's going to pull out their clothes and fold them. And we're not going to wait for mom or somebody else to do that, you know, or, or cooking. Hey, who's going to be the sous chef today? What do you want to make? And how do we help teach you how to do that? It may be tempting to always do the thing because you can do it the way that you like it and faster. But this COVID time is a great time to let go of some of that and allow children to do more because you have time. It's in these times of trial, these times of heartache and and some suffering and sacrifice where character is really formed. God is not absent, y'all. Some of the things in this Holy Week when we're seeing great suffering, we can also know that God can take that and bring great good out of that. And there will be people and families that are suffering right now. Marriage was hard before and now you can't get out, literally, to get some space, fresh air. But this is also a time where when things are the most difficult, God shows up. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Because it's Easter. Easter was not postponed or canceled. Jesus is not in the tomb. He's not there. And in the midst of death, staring death in the face, really, he is our only hope. It's a great correlation in my heart between what happened with the early Christians gathering in the upper room with Our Lady in Acts chapter 2, and then the power of the Spirit coming. And then they go out and maybe there could be new graces, right? Maybe this crisis will be over by Pentecost or maybe it won't. But there's a level at which it just doesn't matter. He is risen. Alleluia. I'm going to turn you upside down and throw you out the window. <laughs> I'm gonna that is brotherly love right there. Well, yeah, oh yeah. All day long. Lots of brotherly love. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. 
This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, except for the theme music, which is composed and produced by Michael Taylor, and then the new music is from FirstCom.